بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما For the last couple of weeks we have been speaking about Umar radiallahu an and his strictness with his family. And tonight, inshallah, we want to talk about Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu an and his personal piety. Umar radiallahu an, he was a person who would pray in the nights. He would pray tahajjud, he would pray qiyamul layl, even though he was so busy with the affairs of the Muslims during the day. Even though the Islamic world expanded so much during his reign, he would make sure that he sets aside a time in the night where he would worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he had a regular time every night where he would stand up in prayer, stand up in tahajjud. One of the servants of Umar radiallahu an, Aslam, and another one of his servants named Yarfa. Once they were staying with Umar radiallahu anhu, they were staying with him in his home. And Umar radiallahu anhu, as usual, he got up to pray tahajjud. And when he would get up to pray tahajjud, he would recite the ayah, وَأْمُرْ أَهْلَكَ بِالصَّلَاةِ وَاصْطَبِرْ عَلَيْهَا لَا نَسْأَلُكَ رِزْقًا نَحْنُ نَرْزُقُكَ وَالْعَاقِبَةُ لِلتَّقْوَى And command your people, command your family to pray and be steadfast upon that. We do not ask you for rizq. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not ask you to bring in your own rizq. نَحْنُ نَرْزُقُكَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who provides. وَالْعَاقِبَةُ taqwa. And the good result in the end is with taqwa for the people who have piety. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he would get up to pray tahajjud and he would recite this ayah. One night he got up and he was praying tahajjud and he finished his prayer and then he went to Aslam and Yarfa these two servants who were in his home. And he said to them, stand up and pray. He prayed whatever he could pray, Umar prayed, but then he couldn't continue praying. So he went and he woke up Aslam and Yarfa and he said, you two get up and pray now. Because I cannot pray, right now I cannot pray and I also cannot go back to sleep. And then he said, وَإِنِّي لَأَفْتَحُ السُّورَةِ فَمَا أَدْرِي فِي أَوَّلِهَا أَنَا أَوْ فِي آخِرِهَا He said, I'm trying to pray and I'm trying to read the Qur'an and I start a surah and then I get confused. I don't know if I'm in the beginning of the surah or the end of the surah. So he was trying to pray but he was preoccupied with something that night. So he decided not to continue praying that night and he told Aslam and Yarfa, you guys, you get up and pray. So they were worried for him. They were like, what's happening? So they asked him, Walima ya Amir al-Mu'mineen. Why are you so preoccupied? What has happened, ya Amir al-Mu'mineen? And then Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, Min hammi bin nas. My concern for the people. I'm in charge of the people. And I have to make sure that I deal with them justly. I have to take care of all of their affairs. There are widows, there are orphans. There are prisoners of war. There is wealth distribution. There is all of this stuff that's on my mind. So it's preoccupying me to the extent that 
I cannot concentrate tonight in my prayer. So this was the level of concern that Umar he had for his people, for his subjects. Yet still, he tried to the best of his ability to stand up and set aside a portion of his night to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But sometimes, obviously, the matters that he was in charge of, it would preoccupy him. So in those type of situations, he would tell his servants, you guys get up and you pray. One of the supervisors that Umar an had kept in charge of the Baytul Mal, of the treasury, he was a Sahabi of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, a companion named Mu'ayqib. So Mu'ayqib, his job was to guard the treasury, guard the Baytul Mal, and take care of it. So one day, Mu'ayqib, he was, he was cleaning the Baytul Mal. The Baytul Mal, it was, it was actually a room where they would keep all of the wealth and all of the jewels and all of these things that would come in from different places. So one day, Mu'ayqib, as part of his responsibilities, he would make sure that he keeps that room clean. So he was cleaning it. And on the ground, while he was cleaning, while he was sweeping, he found one dirham. One dirham on the ground. One dirham is a very insignificant amount of money. It's like you're going on the street and you find one penny on the ground, right? That's what it's like. So Mu'ayqib, he found one dirham on the ground while he was sweeping, while he was cleaning, and he picked it up. And one of the young sons of Umar radiallahu anhu was around. Umar radiallahu anhu, he had many children and some of them were still at this time very young. So one of the young sons of Umar radiallahu anhu, he was running around. And Mu'ayqib, he finds this one dirham and he throws it to that little boy, the son of Umar radiallahu anhu. It's just one dirham, what's, you know, what's the big deal? So he throws it to the son of Umar radiallahu anhu and the son of Umar, this young boy, he takes it. And then Mu'ayqib, when he finished cleaning the Baytul Mal, he went home. And he didn't think much about what happened. After some time, a messenger from Umar ibn al-Khattab, radiallahu anhu, knocks on the door of Mu'ayqib. Mu'ayqib opens the door, and the messenger of Umar says, Amirul Mu'minin is calling you, come right now. So Mu'ayqib, he doesn't know what is, what is this about? Why, why am I being summoned? to Umar radiallahu anhu. So he quickly gets ready and he goes to Amirul Mu'mineen. He goes to Umar radiallahu anhu. When he reaches Umar radiallahu anhu, Umar radiallahu anhu, he has that dirham in his hand. Umar has the dirham in his hand. That same dirham that Mu'ayqib had thrown to the son of Umar. Now Umar has it in his hand. And Mu'ayqib looks at Umar and Umar looks at him sternly and he says, وَيْحَكَ يَا مُعَيْقِيبِ أَوَجَدْتَ فِي نَفْسِكَ عَلَيَّ شَيْئًا he said to Mu'ayqib, Ya Mu'ayqib, what is this? What is your problem? Do you have some type of a personal problem with me? Do you have some hatred in your heart towards me? Is there some reason you want to hurt me? Did I do something to you? And then Mu'ayqib, he's confused. He said, What are you talking about? Why would I have any problem with you, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen? And then Umar radiallahu anhu, he has the dirham in his hand. And he says, Aratta. You want the Ummah of Muhammad to fight against me on Yawm Al-Qiyamah because of this dirham? Are you trying to do this on purpose to hurt me? This shows the personal piety of Umar That's literally like a penny you find on the ground. And this is how seriously 
he took it. So he was very, very responsible with the public funds and he took this responsibility, this amana, this trust that had been placed upon him, he took it extremely seriously. He didn't want even one dirham to be placed anywhere unjustly. So this was a heavy burden upon Umar all the time. It was very stressful for him but he made sure that he fulfilled his responsibilities. Also from the greatness of Umar ibn al-Khattab he would make sure that the rules of the Sharia are applied to everyone equally. It doesn't matter if you're young or you're old. It doesn't matter if you're related to Umar or you're not related. The rules of the Sharia, they would apply to everyone equally. And he made sure of this. Once Umar his name was mentioned in a gathering in the presence of Amr ibn al-As and this is after Umar passed away. Amr ibn al-As He's sitting with some people and Umar radiallahu's name came up. And Umar ibn al-As remembered the days with Umar as, as Khalifa. And he said, Rahimahullah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon Umar. And Umar ibn al-As radiallahu anhu he says, Ma ra'aytu ahadan ba'da nabiyillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ba'da abi bakr akhwaf lillahi min Umar. He said, Wallahi, I have never seen anyone after the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Abu Bakr who feared Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala more than Umar Ibn Al-Khattab Radiallahu Anh La yubali ala man waqa'a al-haq ala waladin aw walid He said he didn't have any concern who the haq, who the truth would come upon whether it was an elderly person or a younger person whether it was a father or a son if the haq was to be applied on anyone, it would be applied on anyone. He didn't take anyone into special consideration. No one had any special status with him. That yes, we don't have to implement the rules on him because he's such and such. No, nothing like that. He never thought like that at all. And then Amr ibn al-As, to prove this sentiment of his, that he didn't care if the haq had to go on someone, it would go on that person, no matter who it was. To prove this statement of his, he mentioned a story that happened. While he, Amr ibn al-As, was the governor of Egypt. During the Khilafah of Umar ibn al-Khattab Egypt was conquered and we will get into that inshallah in a future lesson. Egypt was conquered and Amr ibn al-As was put in charge of Egypt. He became the governor of Egypt during the reign of Umar ibn al-Khattab So Amr ibn al-As mentions that during that time he was governor of Egypt, one of the sons, <coughs> one of the sons of Umar was there in Egypt, Abdul Rahman ibn Umar. And one night Abdul Rahman ibn Umar and his friend Abu Saru'ah, Uqba ibn al-Harith, both of them were good people, pious people, Abdul Rahman ibn Umar and Abu Saru'ah. They were drinking a drink called Nabith. Nabith, it's a drink that is made out of, it could be made out of dates, it could be made out of grapes, right? And it is not intoxicating. But if it is left alone for a while, just leave it out for a few days, it becomes wine, right? So they were drinking Nabith. And they didn't think that it had turned into wine. 
But actually it had turned into wine. But they didn't realize it. And they're drinking it. And then finally they realized it after they became intoxicated. Both of them became intoxicated. The son of Umar radiallahu anhu, Abdul Rahman ibn Umar, and his friend Abu Sarua, they became intoxicated drinking this nabith, not realizing it had become wine. So after they drank it and they became intoxicated, they felt very guilty. They felt very bad. They said, you know, we should have realized it. Now we drank. And out of their fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they wanted the had, they wanted the worldly punishment of being lashed. They wanted that to be implemented upon them. It would have been okay if they privately repented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and asked for forgiveness without going to the ruler and telling them what they did. But sometimes when a person feels so guilty and they want the punishment to be applied upon them in this world so they can be safe from the punishment of the hereafter out of a sense of taqwa and piety. So they had this sense of taqwa and piety. They wanted to get the punishment over with in this world so they could be safe from the punishment of the hereafter. So when morning came, Abdurrahman ibn Umar and his friend Abu Sarua, they went to the home of Amr ibn al-As, who is the governor of Egypt, who is in charge of implementing these hudud. He's in charge of implementing these punishments. So they go to him and they enter his house and both of them, they, their, their heads are down. They look very ashamed. They look very sad. They look broken. So Amr ibn al-As asked them, what is your situation? What, what brings you here? And then Abdurrahman ibn Umar explains what happened. He says, we drank and we became intoxicated yesterday. The two of us drank and we became intoxicated yesterday. So we have come to you for you to implement the had upon us, for you to lash us as a punishment. Umar, he said to them, get out of here. I don't want to hear this. Just get lost. Leave. He didn't want to implement the hudud on them. He didn't want to even hear an explanation of what happened. He asked them to leave. And then Abdurrahman ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, what did he say to Amr ibn al-As? He said to him, He said, if you don't implement the had upon us, if you don't punish us, then I will tell my dad. And then, then Amr ibn al-As got scared. He said, okay. If Umar finds out that his son came to me and he committed this act and I didn't punish him and Umar finds out, then for sure he's going to fire me from this position. I'm going to lose my position as the governor of Egypt. Right? Now this is, this is the opposite of what most rulers do. Most rulers, if their family member commits a crime and you punish them for that crime, then they will kick you out of that position. How dare you punish my son? They will fire you from that position. But Umar عنه, is the opposite. If you don't punish his son, then he's going to fire you. And Amr ibn al-As, he understood this very well. So when Abdurrahman ibn Umar said, if you don't fulfill this, if you don't apply the had, if you don't apply the punishment upon us, if you don't lash us for becoming intoxicated, I will tell my father. And then let's see what happens to you. So then Amr got scared. He said, okay, come, come, come. I will, I will lash you. So they come into the courtyard of his house the courtyard of his house. And this is the private re residence of Amr ibn al-As. And it has an open courtyard. So he takes them into the courtyard and he lashes them as a punishment for becoming intoxicated. After he lashed them, according to Amr, 
that was the end of the story. خلاص, they, they, they made a mistake. They repented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The had was carried out upon them. They were lashed. No, this, this chapter is closed. It's finished. So he didn't think much more of it and he didn't even write a letter to Umar ibn al-Khattab telling him about this incident, what happened. He didn't feel the need to do that. <coughs> Alright, so now Umar thinks the chapter is closed. But a little while later, a letter comes to Amr ibn al-As from Umar ibn al-Khattab. A letter from Medina, from Amirul Mu'mineen, Umar ibn al-Khattab And the letter says, the, the starting of the letter, it says, Min Umar ibn al-Khattab ila al-Asi ibn al-As. His name is Amr ibn al-As. But Umar addressed him as al-Asi ibn al-As. Al-Asi, what does it mean in Arabic? It means the disobedient one, the sinner. So now, just reading the, the, the introduction of this message, Amr ibn al-As, he knows he's in trouble. Okay. Instead of calling me by, by my name, he's calling me Al-Asi, the sinner, Ibn Al-As. Then he reads the letter. And Umar mentions in the letter, what did you think you were doing? Applying the had upon my son inside your house, privately? When for the other Muslims, it is done in the public square, in front of everyone? And for my son, you decided to do it inside your house? Because he is the son of Amirul Mu'mineen? So Umar was mad that he felt that Umar didn't treat his son as he would treat another Muslim. He gave his son special consideration. Instead of punishing him publicly in the public square, he did it inside his, his home privately. So this made Umar very mad. You're giving my son special treatment because he is the son of Amirul Mu'mineen? No, he is a Muslim like the other Muslims. And the treatment he gets should not be anything special. It should be the same as the other Muslims. And then he gives an order to Amr ibn al-As. He says, send Abdurrahman to me. Send my son to me in Al-Madinah. So Amr ibn al-As, he has to obey this order. He prepares Abdurrahman ibn Umar to go to Medina. And he sends a letter as well, a reply to Umar ibn al-Khattab. And he says to Amirul Mu'mineen Umar ibn al-Khattab, Ya Amirul Mu'mineen, Wallahi, Wallahi, I did not give your son any special treatment. This is how I apply the punishment on anyone who comes to me. I do it in the courtyard of my house for everyone. I didn't do it for anyone outside publicly. So he didn't get any special treatment from me, Ya Amirul Mu'mineen. He explained it. Like just like I punish anyone else in the courtyard of my home, I punished him in the courtyard of my home. He did not get any type of special treatment. So he clarified this issue to Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu <coughs> Alright, so now, Abdurrahman, he reaches Medina. From Egypt to Medina, he reaches Medina. As soon as he reaches Medina, Umar, he meets him and he says, Ha, huh, you did that, huh? you got intoxicated. And he starts beating him. Umar starts beating his son Abdurrahman. And Abdurrahman, he's very tired from a long journey coming all the way from Egypt to Medina. And the first thing he gets is a beating from Umar ibn al-Khattab. Abdurrahman ibn Auf, an, one of the close companions of the Prophet wasallam, who was with Umar at that time. When he saw Umar beating his son, he said, Ya Amir al-Mu'minin, you don't need to do it. He has already been lashed. The punishment has already been applied upon him. The had has already been applied upon him. You don't need to do any more. But Umar kept beating him. Not to add 
to the punishment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prescribed, but he was doing it as the right of a father to punish his son. This is separate. That this is his own son, so I'm going to punish my son for doing something wrong. Yes, the hudud of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been applied upon him, but this is something separate. This is my son, I'm going to punish my son myself. So he whipped him some more. Right? So this was the, this was the, the strictness that Umar radiallahu an had towards his family. If they do anything wrong, then they can expect more of a punishment than anyone else. When the situation these days, if someone is a ruler or someone is a king or whatever they may be, if their family does something wrong, usually it is swept under the rug. Usually it is, it is not accounted for. Usually it is not punished. And if someone does try to punish the son of a ruler or something, then that person gets punished for daring to do something against the family of the ruler. Right? So you can see the difference in the rule of Umar ibn Khattab He was a man of justice. So anyone from his family does something wrong, they can expect even more of a punishment than the laymen from the Muslims. So this was the strictness, this was the way of Umar ibn al-Khattab Once Abdullah ibn Umar was talking to Amir ibn Abi Musa al-Ash'ari. Abu Musa al-Ash'ari was also a great companion of the Prophet And of course Umar was one of the closest companions of the Prophet So one day the sons of these two great men were talking to each other. Abdullah ibn Umar and Amir ibn Abi Musa. They're talking to each other. And Abdullah ibn Umar, he says to Amir ibn Abi Musa, Ya Amir, do you know once what my dad said to your dad? Once my dad and your dad were having a conversation. Umar radiallahu anhu and Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, they were having a conversation. And Abdullah ibn Umar witnessed this conversation. So he tells the son of Abu Musa, you know one day what my dad said to your dad? And the son of Abu Musa, he says, no, I don't know. And then Abdullah ibn Umar tells him, he says, once my dad, Umar ibn Khattab, he said to your dad, Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, they were talking, and he said to him, Ya Abu Musa, Ya Aba Musa, would you be happy if we could just get the reward of the good things that we did while the Prophet ﷺ was amongst us. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would give us the rewards for those good things we did while the Prophet ﷺ was here. And as for the time after the Prophet ﷺ, we just break even. We don't get any reward for anything that we did, but we also don't get punished for any of the bad things that we did after the Prophet ﷺ. Just break even for the time after the Prophet ﷺ. But for the time we're with the Prophet ﷺ, yes, we get the rewards for that. Would you be happy if we could get that? And Abu Musa, he said, no. Because even after the passing away of the Prophet ﷺ, we did so many good things, alhamdulillah. We prayed, we continued to pray, we continued to fast, we continued to give charity, we continued to fight in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We were able to conquer so many lands. We did so many good things. So I want the reward for all of that. And I hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us the reward for all of that. This is what Abu Musa said. But Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, Wallahi, I swear by Allah, if I could just get the reward of everything that I did during the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and then after the passing away of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam for the rest of my life, I could just break even. Not have anything for me, but also not have anything against me. Just have it a zero sum. 
then wallahi I wish that I could have that I would want that and then after hearing this story the son of Abu Musa he said to Abdullah ibn Umar he said wallahi inna abaka kana khayran min abi Amir ibn Abu, ibn Abi Musa he said to Abdullah ibn Umar he said wallahi your father Umar he was better than my father he was better than my father so why did Umar radiallahu anh say that? That he wishes that his time after the Prophet sallallahu even if he doesn't get any reward, he also just doesn't get any punishment. Just break even. Because he felt the heaviness of the burden upon him and he was afraid that maybe he's not doing it in the way that it should be done. Maybe he's making some mistakes. Maybe he's falling short. He feared that. He feared that he's not fulfilling his responsibility in the way that it should be fulfilled. So he would be happy with just breaking even. This was the taqwa, this was the sense of piety that Umar radiallahu anh had. Right? He's responsible and he understands he's responsible for the whole ummah. He's responsible for all of these conquests. The conquest of Asham, the conquest of Persia. He's responsible for all of this. He's responsible for the martyrs, the people who who die on the battlefield. He's responsible for their families who they leave behind. He's responsible for the widows. He's responsible for the orphans. He's responsible for how the wealth is going to be distributed. This is very, very stressful. It was a huge, heavy burden upon him and he understood that burden. He was always afraid that perhaps he's not doing it to the level that he should be doing it. So he had this fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly. You know, you and I, if we have someone in our family who gets sick, you know, you have a sick son or daughter or something like that, how stressful is it for you? Now just imagine that with the whole ummah. Umar radiallahu anhu, he's not responsible just for his own family, he's responsible for the whole ummah. Right? So imagine the stress that he was feeling. Radiallahu anhu wa ardah. Abdullah ibn Isa mentions, كَانَ فِي وَجْهِ عُمَرْ خَطَّانْ أَسْوَدَانْ He said that Umar radiallahu anhu on his cheeks, he had two black lines. You just see him like two permanent black lines embedded onto his face when you see him. Why? Because of how much he used to cry. He cried so much that the tears, they made a black line on his cheek, a permanent mark on his cheeks, both of his cheeks. That is the extent that this man feared Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is how much he would cry. Hisham ibn al-Hasan, he mentions that Umar radiallahu anhu, sometimes he would be reciting the Qur'an. He would be reciting the Qur'an and he would reach a verse, he would reach an ayah and he would start to cry. And he would not be able to continue. And sometimes he would even fall down. That's how, he, how affected he was by the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes he would be reading a verse, he would not be able to continue, he would fall down and then he would have to be taken to his home. And then the people would visit him in home. They would, the people would visit him in his home as you visit a person who is sick. Right? So this is the effect that the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had on his heart. He would cry in prayer. He would lead the salah. As Amir al-Mineen, he would lead the prayer. That is one of his responsibilities. Sometimes he would lead the prayer and he would cry so much in the prayer that the people praying behind him wouldn't know what surah he is reading. He was crying so much and trying to read, but because of the crying, it was not clear. And the people behind him couldn't understand which surah is he reading. That is the effect that the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had upon Umar ibn Khattab. Umar ibn Khattab, when you think about him, 
You think about a very strong man, a very stern man, a very strict man, a very powerful man. But when he was reciting the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he would cry like this. This is a real man, radiallahu anhu This was his personal piety. As we mentioned before, during the time of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, the Muslim world expanded greatly and a lot of wealth came in during the time of Umar radiallahu anhu. They conquered Persia, they conquered Asham, and of course, a lot of that wealth came in. So once Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, he called Abdullah ibn Abbas into his room. Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, cousin of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and one of the most knowledgeable companions of the Prophet He calls him in his room and Umar has some gold on the ground. Gold that came in from some of the conquests. Right? And he tells Ibn Abbas, he says, divide this gold and distribute it. Get, it. get it away from here. Divide this gold and distribute it. And then he said, in a state of extreme stress and worry he said you know Allah didn't give this type of wealth in the time of the Prophet and he didn't give this type of wealth in the time of Abu Bakr but now with me he's giving this type of wealth I don't know what type of test this is for me Allah didn't give it to the Prophet and he didn't give it to Abu Bakr but now it's coming in my hand what kind of test is this for me what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want with this test. He was very worried that what does this mean for me? So Abdullah ibn Abbas, he starts gathering the gold and dividing it and preparing it for distribution. And while he's doing that, then suddenly he starts to hear Umar radiallahu anh crying. He starts to hear Amir al-Mu'mineen Umar crying and he looks up and he sees Umar radiallahu anh is crying. And then Umar radiallahu anh, he says, Wallahi, Wallahi, ma habasahu anin nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa an abi bakr iradata sharri lahuma wa a'tahu umar iradatil khayri lah. He said, Wallahi, Allah didn't, didn't keep this away from the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Abu Bakr because he wanted bad for them. Of course not. But now he's giving it to Umar because he wants good for him? No. If there was any good in this, he would have given it to the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr. But he didn't give it to them. So that doesn't mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't want good for them. It doesn't mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted bad for them. Of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gave them the best. But now He's giving me this thing that He didn't give to them. So what can it mean? It only means that perhaps this is something bad for me. Because if it was good, then it would have come to them too. This was the worry that he had, the stress that he had, right? This is the accountability that he had for himself. Every day after Umar would lead Salatul Isha in the masjid, after Salatul Isha was finished, he would make sure that he goes around the masjid and tells everyone to leave. So when Brother Muhammad tells everyone to leave the masjid after Isha, he's actually following the sunnah of Umar ibn al-Khattab So listen to him, right? So this is what Umar used to do, really. After Salatul Isha, he would make sure everyone gets up and leaves the masjid. So one day after Salatul Isha, he's telling everyone to leave the masjid and he found Ubay ibn Ka'b sitting in the masjid. Ubay ibn Ka'b, 
the greatest reciter of the Quran from the Sahaba of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He's sitting in the masjid with some companions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. They're sitting together, and Umar radiallahu anhu sees sees them and he says, "Ma khallafakum ba'da salah? Like, why are you staying behind after salah? Why don't you leave?" And then Ubay ibn Ka'b he says, "Yeah, Amir al-Minin, we're just sitting here for a while, remembering Allah. We're just doing dhikr of Allah. We're remembering Allah." So Umar radiallahu anhu he says, "Okay." And he sits down with them. He sits down with them. As long as you're remembering Allah, let me sit down and remember Allah with you as well. So he sits down with these, these companions, radiallahu anhum ajma'in. And then Umar radiallahu anhu tells each of them, one by one, he says, okay, you make some dua now. And then one of them would make dua. Then he goes to the next one, you make some dua. And he would make dua. And he goes around for all of them and they make dua. And when all of them had made dua, then Umar radiallahu anhu says that, okay, now I will make some dua. And then Umar radiallahu anhu, he makes dua. And he makes a beautiful dua. Ubay ibn Ka'b said he made such an amazing dua. And he was crying. And no one had more tears. And no one was crying more than Amirul Muminin Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu himself. So he made dua and he cried and he was affected by it. After he finished making this dua, then he said to the people, الآن, Like, okay, now everybody get up and leave. And everybody left the masjid at that time. So this was Umar ibn al-Khattab. This was the personal piety of Umar ibn al-Khattab. This is how affected he was by the Quran, by ad-du'a. You could see that even though physically he was very strong, his heart, it was very soft. This is the type of example that we should strive to emulate as well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with Umar radiallahu anhu. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward him for everything that he did for this ummah. Ameen. Inshallah we will continue next week bi-idhnillah. Barakallahu feekum wa allahu alam. Sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.